with that, we're here with Casey Gibson of Infinity Fly Outfitters upstairs at Louis Bass Corner. And we're super, super pumped to be here. And thanks for being here, Casey. Of course, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just wanted to also thank first um, Louis Bass Corner for letting us be up here and just, just describe kind of where we are. We are upstairs in a banquet room. It's got brick walls and a giant table that looks like it could seat about 60. And yeah. we wanted it to be a very special place since we have Casey with us. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Seat 60, that's that. a quarter of my family. <laughs> right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Um, you know, and we, we look forward to learning more about you and, um, you know, what you bring to the table for fly fishing. I know I've learned a lot from you in a little amount of time. You know, it's been pretty awesome. But uh, with that, I think Ben had a question for you. Yeah, I wanted to know. Uh, tell us about Casey. Des describe yourself to us, the legend of Casey. The legend of Casey. Um, born and raised Reno, Nevada. Um, jumped schools around quite a bit. And never went very far and then picked up a job when I got a little bit older that allowed me to travel the world. and carry a fly rod with me everywhere I went and I was off to the races and found my passion in life was fishing and chasing trout and um, eventually I, I started having more fun showing people how to catch fish than I was having catching fish and that's why I progressed my business into what it is today. And then uh, what was that job at? Everybody's probably wondering, how do you how do you get yourself in that situation? <laughs> Everyone I've ever talked to about that job wants it. Um, I was working for a company that does jet blast deflectors for international airports. And so we'd go anywhere in the world that had an airport, military bases, regular airports, municipal airports, everything. And I swore to myself when I got the job that I'd pack a fly rod with me everywhere that I went and I didn't care if it was milky seawater or a cesspool in the jungle somewhere I was going to try and catch fish so right awesome so so backtrack on that a little bit uh first fish first trout which was yeah first trout um specifically remember the first trout on a fly rod um my family always does camping trips every year with my dad and my uncle and all the the cousins and we they load us in a truck a bunch of little hellions and drag us up into the the middle of nowhere nevada and go they'd try and go fish and catch a good buzz and we'd run around and chase each other on dirt bikes chase cows with bottle rockets and <laughs> have a good time <laughs> so they uh they took us up to onion reservoir it's uh it's outside of Denio Junction, Nevada, and outside of that, there's a little lake called Blue Lake, and it's maybe about a mile and a half, two mile uphill from, from where Onion Reservoir is, and I wanted to bring a fly rod, and I wanted to bring my dad's float tube and get up there, and yeah. he, he threw the float tube over my shoulder, and they drove the truck up the hill, and I had to <laughs> hike the thing all the way to the top. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, maybe that contributed to your stature. <laughs> I've, I've always, how I've, tall are you? I'm, I'm six eight. I've, I've always been a pretty big guy. Well, so I've been that's discounting awesome. you two inches this whole time. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, six yeah. foot eight. Right. 
kind of a Scottish Viking. <laughs> Something like that. So was it that that first trip that you got out there uh, in the water and caught your first trout? Yep. So I, I hiked, hiked that float tube all the way up to the top of the mountain, and there's this giant crystal clear pool of water. I mean, giant when I was a kid, it's tiny now. <laughs> but it was just crystal clear, and I remember going out there. My dad tied a fly on there. I can't even remember what fly it was. And I tried my best to flop that thing across the water, and I'd get it out probably 10 feet in front of me, and I'm looking down at the bottom, and I see this trout just come straight up from the bottom. It was probably 15 feet deep. And he came straight up from the bottom and grabbed my fly, and I was hooked right there. It was wow, game over That's for incredible. me. <laughs> wow, and and just to think, Casey, like all the way from that to now, like look at yourself now. You're you're an, an Orvis endorsed guide, and not not just on any body of water. I mean, you're on a, a, a premier piece of water. You World know, class fishery. Yeah. That's right. You know, and that that's that's something else, right? I mean. From taking that hike with the float tube <laughs> to now, you're like, you're the man, right? You know, I, know. I mean, that, that's my opinion. I mean, that that's that's quite an endorsement, you know, and in, um, that's just an awesome accomplishment. So, Pyramid Lake's always been really, really special to me. You know, uh-huh. it's, I joke about being baptized in the lake. Technically, I wasn't baptized in the lake, but theoretically, I should have been. You know, I, I grew up out there. Mm-hmm. I remember being three, four, five years old playing on the beaches and always being out there. And my my family taught me everything they knew about fishing Pyramid Lake and it's just it's a part of my lifestyle. It's a part of my blood. I've I've been there my whole life. Right. It may not be Paiute, but it courses through my veins. <laughs> it courses through your veins. <laughs> what, what's the biggest fish you've caught on Pyramid Lake yourself? Um, biggest fish is just pushing twenty pounds. Um, it's nineteen and change. So That's big. You could round it up to twenty, but <laughs> right. Yeah. There's they're they're pulling fish out right now that are twenty four, twenty five. I haven't seen a twenty six or I've heard stories about them. Um, the record for the lake's forty four pounds, but that was back in nineteen forty one. Mm-hmm. So something like that. But yeah. do you notice as a guide being on pyramid every day that that the fish you're seeing are, are slowly getting bigger and bigger? They are, they are. Since since we've taken huge steps in conservation of the lake and, and repopulating the original species that was in the lake, it's come leaps and bounds from where it was ten years ago. That's yeah, Nico and I, we, we just, um, on our previous podcast, we talked to um, somebody from the Nature Conservancy, and it was so interesting to kind of um, look at all that's happened to the river, and that got us, we really dove into the history, and um, we have it on our website. So anyways, um, especially about Pilot Peak and how somebody had hold those fish aside before they went extinct yep yeah they were uh they were taken out of the lake the lake was originally commercially fished and they Mm -hmm. used it for the mining camps and industry that was growing all around reno and and the surrounding areas and they early forgive me for my dates i'm not exact but early 1900s they put in the derby dam and the derby dam ended up cutting off the spawning lanes for the trout well, no one, I think at that point in time, had really considered what the effect of the dam would have. 
and they kept commercially fishing the lake, eventually fishing the native species into extinction in the lake. And um, I think it was 95, they, they found the original species again and started a repopulation program to, to introduce the fish back into their native water. And it is pretty cool that you are also, for your career, playing a key part in the restoration of the fish by um, what you're doing. Can you tell us about uh, yes, what you do for yes. your other career? My, what I call my big boy job. Right. <laughs> my big boy <laughs> job is I'm director of operations for uh, Protofab Incorporated. And we have just picked up the contract for the Derby Dam project that Granite Construction is running. And it is the full installation of a new fish ladder at Derby Dam. That, that's pretty, that's really monumental. I mean, <clears throat> Derby Dam uh, is 1905, I believe. So yep. yeah, early 1900s. And ever since then, that, that completely eliminated the ability for uh, the Lahontans um, to run up river, you know, mm -hmm. to their natural spawning grounds. Um, and I know I'm telling you what you already know, but just for our listening audience, it's always an educational thing for someone who doesn't know. But, you know, the original spawning grounds are right in downtown. Yep. You know, so so now with the introduction of the fish ladder, you know, I, I, I don't foresee them ever returning to their original numbers. But the fact that they can, they have that ability to, to migrate upriver, you know, maybe find new spawning ground, you know, um, introducing them as a, as a, new and bigger game fish and i'm and that you can add to that because that's that's an exciting piece right there is is knowing that you can already hook into on the east river sizable and wonderful brown trout you know rainbow trout but those were all put there because of the absence of the lahontan um just the fact of thinking that you could hook into you know just a 12 14 15 up to maybe a 20 plus pound fish in the river that's a whole different ball game than in pyramid, because pyramid that's still a fight. But now you're dealing with potentially a twenty pound a twenty pound fish in a current in the Truckee River. In the Truckee yeah. River, in it, I mean, and and a lot of that's going to be proportionate, or a lot of the size of the fish is going to be proportionate to what they do with the flows that come out of Lake Tahoe. Mm. Um, TRPA regulates the water that goes in and out of Tahoe. If right. They, if they start to get too full, they open up the gates and flush out the Truckee River and it all goes into Pyramid and right. you end up with milky goodness halfway across the lake. And right, <laughs> right. But uh, no, it's it's very exciting to, to think about a new species. It's not a new species, but a, a bigger opportunity for game fish in the Truckee River. You know, right. as anyone who's fished that river knows, it's an M effort. It is, yeah. well, it is a, a tough, <laughs> yeah, tough well, river to fish. You, you'll be gangbusters one day and then nothing for five weeks. Yeah, and We've had that, um, I think the month of December was a donut for me. Yeah. Mm. And when I caught, I was actually, uh, Nico and I were down at Lockwood and I hooked into a rainbow trout on something which was funny enough, it's called the slump buster. Yep. I think it was, I think I was happier than when I caught my first fish, because I ended a slump. Well, I mean, how, how that, remember how that went, I mean, it was just this huge long slump, and then we're gearing up, and, and my, my whole thing to Ben was like, Ben, today we're throwing meat, because nothing else works, we're not throwing nymphs, nothing, we're just going to go hit them on the head, and if it works, it works, if it doesn't, at least we were doing something, 
you know, we were watching a bobber go down the river, you know, or, you know. So I pull out the slump buster. I'm like, Ben, this is the slump buster. That's a test of friendship right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take my fly, trust me. Yeah. So we tied that slump buster on. I tied something else on. And, you know, we, we go about our way. And we'll always, we'll, we'll start off together, and that lasts about two minutes. And then we'll, <laughs> we'll spread apart, you know, we'll each take a lane. And the next thing I know, I mean, what, 15, 20, 25 minutes later, I see Ben, I see him. His hand up in the air, you know, and his pole tip bouncing up and down. And I'm, ben, I got one. I was like, the slump buster. The slump the buster. buster. He's slump... just demoing flies on you. Yeah. He had never used it before and wanted to see Never. It. He's does like, this, here, catch here's fish? one for you. No, you know what? The, the best part about it is like, how many times I've thrown a slump buster? Especially on the upper Truckee, yeah. like in these deep pools, and I got nothing, zero, zilch, <laughs> and I put it on him. But I knew, I knew, I'm like, you know, this is perfect because the way it was colored, you know, a little gray, green, and white in it. And I'm like, and we're in that transition area, you know, kind of like where the sculpins cut off, and then you got the other, you know, you know, the shiners and all that stuff kind of mixing in. So I'm like, it's gonna grab somebody's attention, you know. And I mean, I don't know how big that rainbow was. It wasn't like a monster, but the fact that it. it it broke a literal slump. It busted a slump. With yeah. A slump yeah. Bust. yeah, and he was just, was ben, ben was pumped. You know, I walked away with a big fat zero, but I was super pumped. Kind of just like you, like being able the ability to put somebody on a fish, seeing how stoked he was. I'm like, hey, that worked. He's pumped, and he's going to go do it again. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. You know you're a good fishing partner if you've put your partner on a fish. That's the whole reason why I do what I do. And, and I was going to ask, how, when did you notice that you were getting more satisfaction out of getting somebody on a fish than getting it yourself? I mean, did, was it gradual or all of a sudden, or you just said, hey, I'm going to try this? Um, it happened probably five years ago. I remember having a, a really good year out of Pyramid. I was there probably five, six days a week. I just didn't have anything to do. I was working with the fire department at that point in time, and we were off season. I was seasonal wildland firefighter and every day I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning and throw my waders on and drive out to the lake and fish and for the first half of the season it was a great time and after that I was like okay yep, another cookie cutter 18 inch trout <laughs> and um, started inviting you know my little brother and my cousin and people that really held a held a candle in my life you know people that I really enjoy being around and I started showing them what I was doing and how I was doing it and every time they catch a fish it was just so exciting for me it was, it was just this enlightened experience of hey I gave him the fly I told him exactly what depth to put it at and he caught fish all day long and it, it was at that point that I realized okay this is this is something that I want in my life and something that I want to do and still to this day it doesn't get old I mean the four o'clock mornings never bothered me a bit it's just get up and go take someone to have fun and potentially catch a world record you know no and the early mornings don't bother you as i learned recently when we went out <laughs> i mean i'm like he's all 5 30 at starbucks i show up at 5 31 and i'm like i see his truck it's empty it's running and i'm like where's the casing he's the only one inside starbucks just standing there just waiting i walk in feeling like oh he just walked in and he's like hey bud there's your coffee like it was already done. And I'm like, oh, just like me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, all right, well, cool, all right. And uh, 
No, it, it's just it, I think the rhythm and the flow that you bring, you know, um, in the guiding scene, you know, and even as we're going out as buds, is is, is pretty great. Um, he's a pretty pretty selfless guy when it comes to. He's not holding any secrets really. It's just like there's fish out there. I mean, I'd have either, to either say, catch Nico, them or you don't. Nico, you're the you're the same way, and um, you know, all as Nico was showing me how to fly fish, we spent we spend a lot of time on the river. He always talked about Casey. I learned this from Casey. Casey says this, and Casey then he didn't catch any that. fish. <laughs> right? No, Nico. Nothing. There's no. been many days where I've had maybe three, and Nico will have like twelve. Or he'll come in. He he always there. There's definitely something to be said about luck, but also something to be said about just technique. being a fishy person too. Yeah, it's I see it all the time, especially with clients. You'll have you'll have a group of people, and there's just that one guy. He's everyone's using the exact same thing, fishing the exact same depth, doing everything the exact same. And this one guy is just the fishy dude, and he's hooked up all day long, and everyone else is mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I had a chance to take my brother-in-law over the Christmas break. And just being there, getting him set up, and um, tying on his flies, and there's a feeling where you're just that hope you want them to just hook into one and just being there with somebody there's you know a bond that takes place and i was wondering for you being with different clients um do you notice the relationship changing as you fish together or uh i don't know a bond i know you're not together long but how, how does that work out there in pyramid lake i do it's uh it's always fairly interesting. There are some clients that are just, they want you to show them exactly where the fish are and that's all they care about and they're there to fish. You know, you have the, the absolute diehards that are just there to find a world record trout and get it off of their bucket list and get on the road. Mm -hmm. And then you have the people that are there that really, really enjoy the sport and they enjoy the camaraderie that comes with it. And it's it's fun to watch these people blossom as they go through their day of fishing you know it, it starts out 5 a.m I'm, I'm still tired i'm kind of crabby and I'm j i just want to drink my coffee don't talk to me guide i'm gonna sit here and drink my coffee and we'll get to the lake and you know i'm, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy and I, I joke all the time and and try to have a lot of fun you know i've, I've got this kind of mantra that if you're not having fun you're not going to catch any fish even on the slow days, you just gotta be having fun. I, you'll see me dancing on my ladder with music playing, having a good time. And, uh, you'll watch these people blossom into that. And, and when they hook their first fish and you can slap them on the back or give them some knuckles and tell them great job and get out there and do it again, you know, you, you really create a bond with, with this person. I, I still talk to clients that I've had four or five years ago, just because of the bond that we've shared together. I mean. They don't need me to take them fishing anymore because they, they've learned the techniques. They've learned where to go and how to fish the lake. But they still call me and say, hey, how's it going? What's going on? You know, I'm going to be up there in a couple weeks. I'd love to run into you, maybe grab a beer or something. You know, you, you really do build a bond with these people. And it's, it's one of the things I love. I've got friends all over the world because of it. Oh, that's, that's great. 
Yeah, we we are. Um, I noticed just being on the river, there is something about the energy that you're giving off. If you know, if you come out there and you've got a bad attitude, you're frustrated. <laughs> mm-hmm. It seems like the trap. You're in a slump. No, wait. You're in a slump, but when you're, I don't know, there is a certain rhythm that you get in, and it transfers all the way down through the line right down to the fish. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and, and, and as I've learned, fly fishing won't break a bad day. <laughs> Whatever that is, going out with a bad attitude normally doesn't doesn't work out well, right? You right. know. So, so there's one thing that you do that I think is pretty unique um, in this area with your with your clients, and that's well, you feed them, and you don't just like, hey, there's a brown bag, you know, with a sandwich in it with some cold cuts on it. Um, yeah, you kind of go the extra mile. I mean, even on a day trip, like yep. I've seen you, like that. I mean, I had the opportunity to co-guide with you, and like it, it wasn't like. A small, it was, it was, it was a, a moderate production. It was. I mean, we get to the truck and there was a lot of things coming out: tables, chairs, more tables, barbecue. Or maybe you can embellish on that, like what, what, you, what you do. That's that's unique with the food piece. Um, I, I come by it honestly. You know, my my family loves to entertain. That's that's what we do. You go on a camping trip with my dad and my uncle, and it is a full blown production. I mean, there's there's camp stoves coming out cook boxes full catered bar there he's doing lobster ragu in the middle of camp in the middle of nowhere nevada you're chasing elk in zero degree weather and he's got lobster fettuccine on the table for you when you get back it's, <laughs> it's awesome. and, and i grew up that way and that's that's the way camping trips have always been for me and so that kind of set my bar and when i when i wrote out my business plan for the guide service that was one thing that I was never ever going to waver on was the quality of, of food that I provide for my clients I mean people people go on these trips to be taken care of they go on these trips to to be pampered and the last thing they want is a guy to toss them a porta sub sandwich and say here you go keep fishing mm-hmm. and so I, I, I do the the tri-tip that I've marinated for hours. I bring out the the peppers that I've grown in my garden and and done the brine myself and, and share them with everybody. I, I try and share everything that I have. You know, we'll do homemade homemade enchiladas and taco days and tri-tip sandwiches and I mean it's it's a it's a big production and the the big ones I do a three day trout camp that's completely catered it's got a full open bar and we do we do steaks we do lobsters we do linguine and clam sauce i mean it's it's next level and that's the way my my dad and my uncle have always told me to be you got to take it to the next level that's great so. yeah i mean what what a part of experience that is because we regardless of how the fishing experience goes because you're only in so much control of that mm-hmm. you know so you know they're going to walk away knowing that the hospitality piece was something that they won't find anywhere else. You know, that's a piece that they remember, you know, you're, you're, you're rounding off that experience, you know, with that little culinary touch, you know, and that's, that's huge. You know I mean? That, that if, if they remember anything, they're going to be like, especially like, like with the trout camp, they're going to be like, yeah, I can remember just sitting in that tent, you know, and you know, I remember what they put in front of me and how it tasted and, 
you know, whether it was the greatest day on the water or if it was the worst day. It may even work in your favor as the worst day on the water because now they get, I'm in a warm tent. And look, and I got this big tri-tip in front of me, you know. Yep. You know, yeah. who else Who else out there is doing that? I, no one. I say it all the time. <laughs> the things that I can't control mm -hmm. are the weather and the fishing. Mm -hmm. Everything else that I can control, yeah. I'm going to make sure it's the best thing that can possibly be given to you. I mean, you're you're paying good money to come spend a day with my crazy ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the pyramid. I think we want to hear a little bit about your experience uh, on the Truckee. I mean, we know your skill set on pyramid, but I, I've seen your skill set on the Truckee, and it's it's awesome, you know. I mean, you got that. In my opinion, you have that river, you got it pretty much dialed, you know, it's, from what I see. Unless I'm missing <laughs> something. <laughs> it, it, it comes with a lot of scars. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that river's kicked the crap out of me Yeah. many, many times, as it does everybody. And um, I specifically remember when I first started fly fishing the Truckee River, it was two-month-long slump. And... I specifically remember being on the phone with my dad driving out to this last spot that I've hit numerous times before and haven't caught anything and I'm on the phone with my dad and I say if I don't catch a fish this day I am all done with the Truckee River just <laughs> not gonna we, Nico and I have heard that word for word from different people mm -hmm. I, I went to that spot and at that point in time I didn't I wasn't as adept in fly selection and, and knew how to read the water and, and read the hatches and what what to feed the fish. I had a red pyramid lake chrominid on the bottom. And I flicked this thing into an eddy and I watched my indicator go down and it was one of the biggest brown trout I've ever caught on the Truckee River. Wow. <laughs> and it, it just sucks you back in, you know. It's you're ready to give up and then that, that one fish just comes and sucks you right back in. <laughs> and that that was like a fly fishing bond moment I had with, with Casey as I was talking about that. I think when I when I first met you, we were first talking by like about a year ago, right? And I mentioned throwing uh a Mahalo. Yep. You know, in the Verdi area. And I'm like, Casey I threw a Mahalo, you know, under this thing and you know and I pull out, you know, the biggest rainbow, you know, to date, you know, that I have, you know, ever out of the Truckee off of a pyramid fly, you know. So when I heard your story about it, you're like, yeah, well, duh. You know, I mean, what's in the Truckee ends up in pyramid and vice versa. I mean, it's, it was just, it made sense, but it's just, it's, what I find hilarious is, is, is like, we, there's a diehard crowd out there. If, if, if I told anybody else that I had a Mahalo or a worm on, <laughs> it's like, it's either, either they're like, cool bro whatever you need to do which is a small percentage or there'll be like you know that you get the humph you, you know might as well be drifting egg patterns drifting drifting <laughs> drifting egg patterns or i might as well just be gearheading it with night crawlers and eagle claw hooks you know that that's the feeling i don't know if, if ben if you've kind of yeah, picked up a little bit of that, that vibe right. when nico talks about putting a worm on his voice goes he's like yeah i'm gonna tie on a worm it's real serious. We have an understanding. This is not common. <laughs> yeah. It's a San Juan. It's yeah, yeah. It's a San Juan. Yeah. Right. It, well, yeah. You know, and and you know, I've tried to buff it off. It's like, oh, it looks like an egg sack or an egg pattern floating through the water. No, it's a worm. It's a worm. No matter what, you know, how you paint it or whatever, it, it's a worm. And I don't have a problem with that. But it's just, I I, I got so proud of that as a point. 
you know, I would I would start bragging to local fly guys that I run across, you know, just, hey, bud, you know, what's going on? Like, I even know their name. And be like, yeah, dude, look, I ripped it up, man, on this freaking, the San Juan. I mean, I put a split shot on and a San Juan. And I drifted it through this little riffle, and boom, there's like, oh, well, no, you have to use a Duracell. <laughs> or you have to use this or that, you know, I'm like, oh. And they'd be like, yeah, it's been so hard out there. I'm like, yeah, but dude, if you put a San Juan on, it ain't hard, you know. But, yeah, anyway, so. Yeah, it's. it's realistic fishing. Right. <laughs> when it comes down to it, I've even received a jolt of joy from a snack on a stick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> probably fought it for a little bit, too. <laughs> I, yep, you see that, you feel that little tug, and, and there is a little jolt there. Yeah. So, yep. and, I, and Nico and I wanted to know, um, you know, there's a lot, when you're planning your trip uh, to the pyramid, you plan to eat really well, and we want to know where do you like to get a burrito, or what is your favorite burrito oh man that's a tough one it's uh for the longest time growing up it was super burrito hmm. it's always the green chili pork burrito from super burrito and now i've i've found a few other small places in town that make a pretty substantial burrito there's uh actually almost had one today don't tell my wife <laughs> We're on a diet and it would be considered cheating. <laughs> I didn't have it, honey. <laughs> uh, she does, well, we won't put the date of it, when this was recorded. Yeah. It calls to me. It, there's, a, there's a little tortilla factory on the corner of Glendale and McCarran. It's called El Rosal. And not many people know that there is a restaurant built into this tortilla factory. And they have absolutely killer Mexican food in there. Spicy wet burritos are to die. Hear that? The click of the pen. I'm writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> How did you first discover it? My dad. I was, I think, 18, 18 years old. I was working at this little camper shell place right down the street. You know, dirt bag, dirt bike rider, and wannabe fly fisherman. And my dad called me up one day. He was at work, and he said, "Hey." I'm going to come pick you up. I'm going to take you to lunch. And he brought me a block around the corner. And I was like, Dad, this is just a tortilla factory. And you walk in, and it's just these smells hit you. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> what is this place? So this is where we dive down. If you could hear, here's the list. Um, we pulled it out of the archive. Um, and so to, to better evaluate this uh, burrito joint, right, um, I'll ask you a couple questions. We'll see if it passes the test. All right, sounds okay. good. All right. I, I, don't, I don't have any doubts that it will, but I mean, we just got to... We're just doing our job, mm -hmm. Casey. Okay? All right. All right. The <laughs> fact that the restaurant was not visible from the street... I think we can check one off here. That is... That's got to be mean, new on the, the list. Actually, that's going to be new on the list, yeah. It is visible from the street, but it just says Tortilla Factory on it. It doesn't say anything so, I mean, about a restaurant. It's a non There's a, It's a facade. There's a facade, yeah. yeah. It's hiding behind the facade of a tortilla. Joint. If, you're, if you're ever driving on McCarran right by Glendale, you know that boat that's up on the on a rack that sticks out right there on, yes. on McCarran? Yeah. The building right next to that, that's it. So you would never know it was there. <laughs> I love this that. This is ridiculous. I know. <laughs> I, I think you're lying to us. All right. All right. So, well, 
Okay, here's a key one. Uh, the tortilla. Is it is it is it transparent? Like, uh, let's say not at room temperature, but when you receive the burrito, does it almost have a see-through? I, I know what see you're talking about. Yeah, like, I mean, we're talking like the grease level. Yeah, yeah. It has to be. Um, when it's not smothered in salsa? Yeah. I don't think it does, but most of the time I get mine smothered in salsa, so I wouldn't be able to tell. Right, right, okay, okay. <laughs> They're not greasy burritos, though. Right, right. Well, what do you got, what do you got Ben? Well, oh. I wanted to know, does the ratio of Mexicans in the line outnumber non-authentic burrito eaters? 100 right. to 1. It is. Ah. It is a a very well known Hispanic restaurant. Perfect. You don't see a lot of people other than. <laughs> I'm never disappointed. I have a lot of friends who are Mexican, and they know good food. Yeah. I had a friend. I was on a trip, canoeing down the Colorado River, and he pulled out a tortilla, and it was just the raw tortilla. I think it was a Guerrero. I took a bite of it and he looked at me and he, he just said, every cell in my body knows how to process this. And I love it. Right. And so with, with that, I mean, this is a general question. I got to throw it at you. Um, do you walk away from a burrito if it has rice and beans in it? Negative. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't think we see eye to eye on everything, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and this, I, I like I like a good ratio of rice and beans. To, okay. to good stuff. And, and that's you know what I noticed that's a style. So you have you have like your like a Chihuahua style. You have your uh, Jalisco, and then I think Ben and I are more accustomed to uh, because of our native roots being from Southern California. Don't hold it against us. We're here. All right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's the Baja style. Yeah. Which is. Tortilla, meat, onions, cilantro, maybe a a, a a squeeze of the of a, you know that the, the cheese, you know. Queso sauce. fresco. Queso fresco. Yes. You know, and and maybe a spattering of something else, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, if if there's anything else in there, it's filler. You, you We're getting it cheated. We're getting cheated. <laughs> so, so no, it tells me exactly like what you grew up on and what you used to, and I, I respect that, but um. I'm a sucker for carbohydrates, so perfect. No, that <laughs> they never disappoint. That that makes that makes sense. And I'll ask you one last question on the burrito. Um, so after you eat one of these, are are meat sweats part of the equation? Yes. Okay. Yeah. On a scale of on one to ten, where does yeah, it put you? I'd, I'd give her like a three. A three. Okay, so yeah. it's not so bad. No, but, no. Okay. It's, it's not a. It's not a nasty meat sweat. It's a, it's Perfect. a good kind. Hey, as long as you're getting a meat sweat from the burrito, yeah. something went right. Yeah, definitely. That means your meat ratio is pretty is, is good. Yeah. It's, it's got to be 50-50. You know, you got 50% meat and then 50% rice and beans. Right. Good to go. All right. And then the accoutrement that goes on top of it. So, since we're on the food topic, I, I want to got to talk about our host. Because, I mean, we are, we are at Louis Bass Corner. And I think Ben and I can say... That we did it one time. We had a, a lunch here that was a, a a pre quick fishing trip lunch, and that fishing trip was probably one of the it was up there on the production list of being one of the most productive. Maybe not 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 quantity wise on fish, but quality 
but the energy levels in the water and stuff. And I know you've been coming here for quite some time. I mean, is there, is you have a favorite thing about about Louis? Like what? Always. Um, yeah, I've been been coming to this restaurant since before the the new owners, since it was originally owned by Louis. Uh-huh. Um, used to be stained glass downstairs and an old wooden bar. And, um, I think. I think my favorite thing about this place is the the family style dining. I love even if you're by yourself, you come in and you sit at one mm-hmm. of the big family style tables, and you'll sit right next to people you don't even know, and you can strike up a conversation and pour some wine out of the carafe, and right. you know meet new people and socialize over good food. And, um, the the sweet breads, if you can get past the idea of them, they're absolutely fantastic. Um, the, uh, the dry jack cheese for dessert is one of my very favorite things as well. You ever do the oxtails here? I've never had the oxtails. No. Oh, all right. It's a treat. It is. Yeah. I'll have to Worth try it. it it's, it's, it's something else. Uh, and I didn't know it was a thing until somebody told me it was a thing. And they say, hey, when it's on the menu, do it. And you're like, oxtails? Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's just this incredibly tender just scrumptious fat filled just it's almost like a spare room <laughs> into the next level oh man yeah i mean and and you know you'll get a couple cuts of it in your in your little in your little um you know saucer and and you're like oh i can handle that you know but like after you you hit the the first you know piece of the oxtail and you're like halfway through the next one there's like three or four in there when you're at like one and a half you're already a sinking ship. <laughs> the richness, that's it. The richness, and you could just feel it. Like you can look, you can look at your hand, and you could see like the end of your fingertips like expanding and contracting, just like from <laughs> just just the goo, the, the, the goo. digestion like, rhythm. Your your blood has just thickened. <laughs> the the grease in the oxtail bypasses the wall and the intestinal lining and goes straight into the bloodstream. There's no filtering of. You know how it's supposed to capture the yeah, nutrients. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not interested in that. It just has this natural bypass where it's like, oh, I'm in a human, <laughs> straight into the bloodstream, and you're just like slow motion for like a day. Well, if it'll if it'll give you a coronary, it's something I'll probably eat. <laughs> I, it may, yeah, I mean, I think it's beyond coronary. Your, your whole bloodstream is just filled. The viscosity goes from like whatever blood's viscosity is <laughs> until like cold, you know, heavyweight motor oil. You know, it's just like you're taking the bottle and you're pouring it, and you're, it, it takes 30 seconds for it to hit the ground. It's just like, that's your blood. And that's how great the oxtail is. So try it next time you're in. All right. Ben, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I remember watching Ben just sit there and smile, and he's like, he just kept saying this is the greatest. This is the greatest. What I love is there's so many different components to mm-hmm. the meal. There's so many different courses. Each course has different features, and everything alone is of the highest quality. But then altogether, it's like Nico said, you are you're doing an event. You're you're eating. It is. And it's a dinner and an experience. Yeah, and the company's great. Um, I did not know the previous owners, but I just. There's such an authentic, sincere feel. You could really see the care that the owners have and the staff here in preparing it. And I think it's kind of like your your attitude on fly fishing. It, it comes out into in the to the, the fish in the presentation. Yeah, the love shows, and and they did they did a very good job of keeping a lot of the core values of this restaurant. They kept a lot of that. They, they improved upon a lot of things, but they never 
deducted from what made Louis great in the first place, and that's that's my family and myself. We keep coming back for more and more. It's it's a wonderful place. Yeah, I and mean, that's another cool thing I noticed was like when you come in here at any given time, whether it's like a lunch or a dinner, you'll see that there's like a, a collective of sportsmen here. You know, whether like recently because we're coming off. Well, we already came off it, but, you know, on the tail end of, like, the hunting season, yeah. right? You know, um, you, would, you would see people coming in, you know, pre- or post-hunt, you know, or if I see other, you know, potentially fly fishermen, um, I try to avoid giving him the dirty look because it's my turn. <laughs> right? No, but you'll see them in here, and it's great, and you come to the parking lot, and you'll see you can identify their cars, right? You're like, oh, there's a fly fisherman. Oh, there's a hunter. Oh, hey, there's a bird guy. There's an upland guy, you know. Must and that, be a Subaru with a rod ball. A super, if it's a super with a rod vault, I probably won't come inside. I probably won't come out. I love that place. I'll just wait till it leaves. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, but you know, so I think it's embedded in the community, especially in the sportsman community. You know, this is this is a great place. So, um, yeah, if you are listening to this podcast and you are a Reno native, come here, try it out. If you're not a Reno native. Come here, try come, it out. Try it out. And, and if you haven't done it before, don't do it before you go on the water. I know Ben and I talked about doing that. It could potentially be a, that's a poor decision. Wait till after. Yeah. You know, um, have have a nice nice lunch or breakfast before you go on the water. But afterwards, cap it off because uh, Ben and I managed to do it. But we're we're skilled at this. We have a skill set. It's <laughs> taken years um, of practice, I think. It just there's a big difference when you are well fueled, <laughs> and you know I I think there's something about fly fishing. Nico and I always talk about it. It just it puts you in a more prim, primitive state where you're hungrier. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Things feel stronger. You're <laughs> right, right. Well, I think there's something about it. Maybe you can. You know, add to that is like I think when when you're out fly fishing um, or engaging anything, you know, even if you're hunting in the outdoors, it's you have to engage more of your senses. I mean, just let's take the river for example. You know, throwing on a pair of waders and wading into the river and and you know looking for those fish, casting, negotiating the currents, negotiating your footing. You know, being aware of your environment. I mean, what do you think about that, Casey? I mean, similar experience for you or? Yeah, it's it's fairly similar for me. I mean, for for going out into the water, and I'm normally very light on on my intake in the mornings, and mm-hmm. I'll have a cup of coffee and a granola bar, and that'll last me throughout the day. And I, I just I once I'm on the water, I don't want to think about anything else. It's I'm, I'm there to fish. I don't want to want to stop and have a sandwich i don't want to right. do anything i am there to catch fish and i just get it's it's not intentional i just get so zoned in that right. nothing else matters in my world I, f- I feel like casey can i feel like i kind of asked him a loaded question there because uh i feel like casey could wade into like 800 to 1200 like cfs water is easy like and that's that <laughs> like how we would wait into like 250 like to 400 we're like whoa that's what yeah. 800 to 1200 feels like for casey <laughs> he's just like oh it's easy guys i'm not getting tired <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm picturing the parting of the red sea good story about that alaska if you've never been the rivers in alaska are very deceiving 
when it comes to how fast the water is flowing and, and the velocity of it. I mean, you have this big, extremely clear piece of water. You step in there and it tries to take your feet out from underneath you. And it's like, oh, man, you have to, oh. get, you have to get used to it. I mean, even the Truckee River, I, I went to Alaska and I was like, holy crap, this is insane. And uh, you were speaking of parting the Red Sea. And I went um, grayling fishing up in Alaska. And you walk out in the water and you stand there and you're tossing a fly around waiting for this grayling to come up and eat it. And you look down behind you and where the water is breaking off of your legs, there's there's a, a school of 20 grayling five feet from you. You can reach down and grab one if you really wanted to. <laughs> so I started taking my fly and I just grab it in my fingers and drop it down right behind me and you. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, that's awesome. So, okay. I want to hit on this, and then we'll round this out. You mentioned grayling, grayling, and, and this is a perfect segue to whitefish. Yes. Uh, okay. So, yes. so there, there's varied opinions on out there on whitefish, and I don't know if you saw it. I, I posted a new thing on whitefish today on, on the website, and um, I have no hard feelings against the whitefish. It's very interesting because my experience with them is that you know they're they're a positive sign in the river. You're like, hey, I got it. I got it clean clean cold you know river environment you know then there's whitefish mm -hmm. and if they're abundant that's even better you know so that 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 tells you the health of the river right now there's been a mixed opinion on what fly fishermen think about them and um i, I think i think they're a fascinating fish that they're they're incredibly difficult to catch i mean you don't set out for a day of white fishing you're like i'm gonna go catch a white fish if you set out for a day of that it would never happen i mean you almost it, it's almost like you almost accidentally come across them unless uh ben and i ben and i had some recent experiences where we literally came across hordes of them and that doesn't mean anything just because there's more doesn't mean you'll catch any <laughs> but ben actually over here um i put him through some jedi training on whitefish and I think there's 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 a lot of lessons to be learned on and that would translate to trout but I just want your feel like on on whitefish if it's, if it's a nuisance fish to you or if it's fun or like you know and since they are kind of I mean they are in the trout family but you say grayling and they kind of it all kind of melts together it melts so. together yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have any problem with whitefish I, I, if, it, if it's sleek and hungry and comes out of the water I yeah. I I enjoy its presence in my life. <laughs> so, so what? What is? Where is the negative perception? I mean, I, I can't pick it up. I'm not, I haven't been. I haven't been embedded in the trucky clique long enough. That you know, I'm like, you know, I haven't. I've. There's this 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 negative talk about it. Like Ben and I ran across one guy. We're downtown about a month and a half, two months ago. We just, you know, we're doing some business downtown. We just walked across a bridge. You know, say, hey, let's go look at the river real quick. And we ran across a fly fisherman. Yeah, you know, I remember he had, what he said. It was completely he had come negative. Out and he looked like somebody had just kicked him in the balls. <laughs> and we're like, not a good day. And he's like, all I've caught is just a white fish. And we're like, hmm. A well, fish is a fish. I could think of worse. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I'm not positive, but I think white fish carry this old time stigma like a carp does. You know, it, it was just a trash fish that no one wanted. You can't right. eat it, throw it back in the water. And the, the carp carried that for a very, very long time until carp fishing just recently has become 
very sought after by sportsmen. I have people ask me all the time, hey, can you take me out carp fishing? You know, it, it's, it's a gigantic, powerful fish that is very, very difficult to catch. And, and whitefish, I think, have taken a similar stance with them as they were a trash fish. They, hmm. You couldn't cook it, it didn't taste good, you didn't want to keep it, so throw it back in the water. And then as fly fishing became more and more prominent, you know, it, it starts to become this, well, it's, it's a fish. I want to catch it. And I think the stigma of, of white fish is, is starting to go away. But yeah. some people still refer to it as... Well, yeah. I, now, you've been all over, and you just told us about Alaska, but I was just curious. While you were telling me that, telling Nico and I, what is some of the places that stand out to you the most when you've been traveling through the world? Um, my favorite by far is Singapore. Um, peacock bass fishing in Singapore. Don't tell the Singaporean government it's illegal to fish in a lot of places in Singapore, and I may or may not have found places that have very large peacock bass. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, there's, there's this big reservoir. It's right out of downtown. I, I walked from my hotel to the reservoir, and it's probably five or six miles across this thing, and there's a trail that goes all the way around, and it goes through jungle jungle. Like, I got attacked by a monkey on the trail. <laughs> and I, I went back probably 10, 12 kilometers. No, not kilometers. It, it, was, probably, it was probably a four or five hour hike into where I got to and there's nobody there you know I wanted to get to where the people that were running on the trail couldn't couldn't be there yeah and bushwhack down to the water and there's snakeheads in there there's peacock bass I mean there's some crazy looking fish and I it took a giant pair of cojones to wade out into unknown water in a foreign country <laughs> I, yeah I, I went out in there and started tossing streamers and Lo and behold, these peacock bass are just voracious. I mean, nobody's fished for them. They, they, the way the fishing laws work in Singapore is they give you a designated section of every reservoir that you can fish. And I was like, all right, cool. When I was doing my research, and then I show up, and this designated section is 25 feet long, and it's shoulder-to-shoulder fishermen. <laughs> uh-huh. And I show up with a fly rod, and all these guys have their, their crankbaits and topwater stuff, and... I was like, all right, I'm going to go find a new spot. And sure enough, I went out and found some pretty good-sized peacock bass and had a blast and went about my business. <laughs> wow. That's great. That's pretty awesome. I'm still telling I've been, yeah. I'm, I'm paused on that because I've been to Singapore, and I'm like, wow. Seems like that's, that's brave. a pretty risky <laughs> place to that's brave. break the law. Yeah. yeah. Especially that's the one place, you know, the canings and. Yep. and all that but the prison is like a quarter of the size of the country <laughs> mm, right you know although I have I, I to love say, Singapore I, I think Singapore is a great great place I've been there many times if it's, I saw you I think I would be less inclined to cane you <laughs> I'd be right. more inclined to just pretend this never happened mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. hilarious that's awesome so um do you have anything coming up? I mean, uh, I know the pyramid seasons uh, is starting to kind of really get into full swing. I mean, there's been some good production out there, but um, 
you got anything you're looking forward to or you got you got an open calendar i mean what what are you looking like at infinity (laughs) there's there's small trips here and there we still have a lot of openings through the cold season you know as as the temperature gets really really cold people tend to not want to take kite trips which is fully understandable (laughs) you don't want to spend all day breaking ice out of your eyelets but um we do have some available slots in the warm season and we also have the New York chapter of Trout Unlimited coming in for a three-day trip. Uh, right now, I think there's seven to ten confirmed with the possibility of twenty. And That's super awesome. It's it's going to be it's going to be a party. It'll be a really good time. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm sure you are too. I know you'll be helping me out at some point. That's going to be some work, and I'm pumped. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially you know being able to expose. Um, you know, I mean, we're talking about New York chapter. We got guys from the East Coast coming out and experiencing the West. This is going to be nothing like they're used to. Every single habit or anything that they learned about fly fishing, the only thing that's going to carry forward is maybe how to cast. Because everything else, in my opinion, kind of breaks the rules in, in most aspects yeah. of, of fly fishing. You know, you know, putting them out there on, whether it's on a ladder or it's, you know, even it's fishing off the rocks a method in which you know you fish what you're using how you're doing it you know this is this is a this is an ancient species of trout all, all trout are ancient but this one is particularly voracious i mean it's just a pretty much straight up meat eater mm-hmm. i mean it's bugs for them but the most part i mean it's it's eating other fish i mean they're they're the kings of their domain it, yeah. i look into their eyes every time i catch one of those fish and it just amazes me that they are the apex predator in their habitat they are the lion. They are the thing that everything in the water fears. Mm-hmm. And we have the opportunity to hold that thing in our hand and say, oh, man, it's beautiful. It's pretty. <laughs> and not only that, I mean, you're holding a species now that that, that was, you know, fished out. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. you know, back in the day, there were, you know, that railhead in Wadsworth, they were taking an upwards, you know, over a quarter million pounds of fish out of that river. You know, there was indi- individuals that would bring, you know, 1700 to 2000 pounds of fish in a day that they caught themselves bringing it to reno and bring it to market yep. you know there was trains going to uh san francisco uh, san fran and you know san fran eureka and ogden utah you know to head out to all the fish markets you know filled with trout filled with trout you know you look back in ancient 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 literature old literature i mean old writings about you know the trout out here the speckled trout you know this 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 Truckee River trout, this pyramid trout. You know it was the delicacy of delicacies. I mean, I mean even explorers would be like, you know, these are bigger than the Columbia River salmon. You know they taste better and this and that and and here we are. You know so we could dive into that all day. But Casey, is there a is there like a website or anything that we can go to if we want to learn more about Infinity? Definitely. Um, website is www.iforeno.com. And feel free to leave me a leave me a WhatsApp. Leave me something you want to put on our on our blog. We do photo contests. We do everything. Yeah. You, know, um, you can get my make bobbers great again hat. <laughs> yes. Nothing's great. Yes. Yeah. It, it was. You mentioned it at one point in the show. It, it was my my testament to stop being a pretentious fly fisherman and go back to the basics. You know. Nice. It's you can call it an indicator all day, but it's a bobber. And, it is a bobber. Just call it as such and stop being pretentious. Right, right. Just shut up and fish. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then the last 
just back to basics, talking to um, our listeners who aren't, you know, they're not on a tour, they don't have a guide. What would, what advice would you give them? What do you see that when you're in your um, industry that mistakes people are making without getting too technical? What, what advice do you have for the, the regular working person fisherman? Um, I think my, my best advice would be to feel the rhythm of the river. Um, not just the river, I mean a, a, a lake or whatever body of water that you're on, and slow down. People go out and they try and force their fishing, they try and force everything that they're doing, and you end up with botched casts, you end up caught in a tree, and if you just take it for what it is and take in nature and take in the experience that you're having and slow down and feel your cast, feel what you're doing, everything will come naturally to you. It, the, the whole sport of fly fishing has a rhythm. I mean, it's, it's from the timing of your cast to watching your drift go down the river and when it's time to reset and go back to your next drift. It's, it's very methodical and if you just let go and you feel that, your experience will be so much better. Oh, that's incredible. That's that's a great ending. Um, thank you so much. It's been an honor thank talking you. with you. And um, yeah, I was super pumped on this interview. Thanks for coming out, Casey. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, but um, yeah, I mean, if you have the opportunity, you're going to hit Pyramid. Uh, reach out to Casey. Um, what was your website again? www.iforeno.com. Awesome. Um, you know, check out what he's got going on there. And hey, just as a reminder, he is he is the Orvis endorsed guide out here. You know, so um, not that that his only gauge of credibility. This guy's <laughs> a, a solid, solid fisherman. He could put you on fish all day. And, you know, and you're gonna walk away with a skill set that you didn't have before. So it's well worth it. So again, I want to thank you, Casey. I appreciate your time. Put you on a big steak too. <laughs> That's true. True. If anything, you're, you're gonna be on a big one, son. Um, and also, I want to thank Louis Bass Corner for uh, for letting us tape here. It's pretty awesome. So if you have the chance, make sure you get over here. And um, man, just appreciate it. It's pretty swell. Have a have a pecan punch, but not too many before fishing. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. With that, we'll we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.